What is the most resilient parasite? A bacteria? A virus? It's an idea. Resilient. Highly contagious. Once an idea has taken hold of the brain, it's almost impossible to eradicate. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks. Hello and welcome to this lockdown special edition of Five Hard. I say a lockdown special, it's also a little bit experimental, but before we get into what's experimental about it, I want to introduce my two favourite podcasters. To my left, he's my dream architect, it's Dave DTS Sharp. Yo, how's it going everyone? <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, yeah, the, the architect of your dreams perhaps. You are the architect of my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> And to my right, virtually that is, my dream chemist, it's Dan Boom. Hey, the drugs man. I'll take being the drugs man. <laughs> Listeners read into why he might be the chemist. You do bit. look a bit like Heisenberg, <laughs> don't you? I did go as Heisenberg for Halloween once. Obviously it's a lockdown special. We're being a little bit experimental in that we're trying some things that we've never tried before with an episode of Five Heart, in that, well, first of all, we're not... We're not in the same room together as as sort of legislation and the government is dictating. I've already realised that we like to kind of jump in on each other's points from <laughs> yes. time to time and that is going to be so difficult. Yeah, the lag on this is not going to be great for jumping and interrupting each other. But you know what? Andy is a wizard <laughs> when it comes to editing, so hopefully no one will know. It'll just seem as if we're all sat in the same room together. Who knows? If five years of five had has taught me anything... It's that cutting around our bullshit is is a, is a necessary thing in the five hard business. And let me tell you, boys, business is a booming. <laughs> so I guess we should mention then that the first film we're going to be talking about today is uh, Inception. Then we're going to go through that in sort of a five hard half hour esque way. But also we've got a bit of a, a plan going forward as well to sort of cater to our audience during the lockdown? Well, I think what we all discussed uh, originally is that we wanted to look at our favourite films um, of the last decade, so from 2010 to, uh, to 2020, uh, essentially, and to, to look at, okay, well, what was, what was our personal favourites? It doesn't necessarily have to be the film that we want to crown as the greatest film of the decade, but certainly one that we would like to uh, discuss. Uh, so we came up with three each. Uh, Andy, do you want to say, well, I guess we've already said that we're talking about Inception, that's yours. Uh, yeah, so my, my, mine's the, we're doing Inception first, that was one of mine. Well, certainly. it was the one that you chose. You're not allowed to choose more than <laughs> the first one. first one, yeah. Yeah, you're not really allowed to choose well, more you than know. one. Uh, so you've chosen Inception. Well, you know. You're we'll, hanging we'll your see. hat we'll on see. Inception. Um, <laughs> Correct. I chose the film Drive. And uh, Dan Boom? Yeah, I chose Hunt for the Wilder People. Like, I mean, I both, first of all, I love, spoiler alert, both the movies you guys have chosen. I think, obviously, a whole decade is a lot to choose from. So we both had, we all had pretty kind of copious lists. Um, there's a lot to choose from there. And I went with something that kind of uh, made a bit more of a different type of impression than something like Inception. Hunt for the Wilder People, for those people that have seen it, is slightly different in tone. Um, but it's great. It's incredible. Um, but yeah, three very diverse films, really, as well. Inception, massive blockbuster. Yeah. Christopher Nolan, kind of the king of the th the thinking man's blockbuster at the moment. Drive was a, a bit more of a an. It's, it's not. I wouldn't call it an indie. It's kind of an indie. But it's definitely Drive is 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 yeah a smaller budget, it. isn't it? Right. And then Hunt for the Wilder People yeah. is like a New Zealand yeah. comedy. So uh, relatively family friendly, kind of the complete nice opposite direction. Yeah, a nice variety for the first three for us to talk about. Yeah. Interestingly, Drive was also on my my top ten of the decade as well. Well, we so I'm looking yeah. forward to I that. I mean, we episode. didn't technically come up with a top ten of the decade. This was number one <laughs> of the decade. So I don't know why you're still referencing that, but. Uh, that's fine. I don't know why you're poo-pooing so this. Let's talk it was about definitely your one well and only known. choice. 
I, mean, I will. Was... I will edit you out. I swear <laughs> to God. I swear to God. <laughs> oh, Andy, do you want to take it away with a, a brief synopsis then? So I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of people have seen this, but for those people that haven't, for a massive film like Inception, give us a tiny synopsis. Yeah, so obviously Inception, it's it's one of my favourite films of the last 10 years. And it, you know, it came out in 2010. So it's it right at the beginning of the decade, I saw it and was like, wow, this is big budget plus big ideas writ large with a, a really great sort of auteur. The idea of Inception is around in a, in a world where uh, you live in sort of mind or sort of dreamscape espionage and it's centering around a team of people that are um, capable of stealing your secrets through invading your dreams, so to speak. And that is as complicated as it, as it sounds. It's a very complicated film. Um, chances are our listeners have already seen it. But one of the things I found really interesting about it is that just that principle, and I haven't even got to the, the second part of it, of what the actual plot is, I find that interesting in itself. Just the fact that it's a world where you can invade someone's dreams and steal their secrets. But the actual plot revolves around the notion of sort of inverting that, which is, can you plant an idea in someone's mind and watch it come to fruition? That is the notion of Inception in the movie. Yeah, and I, one thing that I would say about Inception is it's 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 almost like a, a more than most, it's more like a, it's a process movie. You can't really describe it in one, and each part of it needs to be seen in sequence to even get a small part of understanding what it is. And that's a... A great synopsis, Andy, and it doesn't actually still even then get to the core of the film. There's still so much more to talk about. Yeah, I mean, that sets up, there's the world, but that doesn't even sort of talk about the, the human story and, and Cobb's journey, what his motivations are. I've always just thought that, I, I just love the idea of that world and that notion. Sorry, Dave. No, no, sorry. I was just trying to let you know that when you were done, I was, I was ready. Uh, <laughs> we are still working some things out here, folks. We um, sure are. I was just going to say one of the things that I think is really impressive about the movie is that when considering how complex the storyline is, they managed to explain it during the film without you feeling like there's a ton of exposition. Like there are there are yeah. certain elements because they have to bring in a new member of the team and teach them all about what Inception is and building worlds and that kind of thing but th there really isn't a lot of time where you kind of feel like okay this is them telling us what's happening um, but they still manage to actually keep you pretty much on board uh, for most people almost all the way through on the first viewing to be honest I, there's a lot i've got a lot written down there's a lot that i could say about that and that's a great point because actually exposition is a really important part of this movie because it is so complex but it is it is combined with such a massive visual scale, um, such spectacle, and then also an emotional connection underneath it that actually you don't quite mind when you feel and hear the exposition because it's not just dumped on you in one. It's part of a, a greater tapestry, if that's not too big of a, a, a phrase to use for that kind of thing. And there's actually there's yeah. one really interesting bit which I wrote down just when I was watching it. And actually, I didn't write much down because I was too busy enjoying it. But there was a bit where um, <laughs> Ariadne, who will get to that character in a minute, um, Ariadne asks about where this technology came from. And someone says it was developed for the military. And that's about it. Like, there's nothing else is said about that. So the only exposition you get is the exposition that's important for what you need to know, not the stuff that's not. Does anybody really care how this dream invading technology came to be? Well, no, because that's not the point of the movie. But I think it's weird that uh, that Nolan seems to care. Like, Nolan seems to care enough to say, <laughs> oh, yeah, this was developed for the military so that they could, uh, you know, be put into life-threatening situations and see how they react to it. Like, for some reason, he yeah. wants to give the audience a reason to suspend disbelief that this thing exists because he could quite easily have just gone it's a thing that this is the future like yeah it happens okay yeah Don't i have worry. no doubt he knows every detail about it yeah i mean it's a technological thing isn't it you see it you open the briefcase and it's a very sort of sci-fi looking thing 
but it's it's totally plausible. You know, it's tight part of Nolan's sort of mo, isn't it? Really, you know, it's all put in a believable way. And I think just to go back to your point about exposition, what I really like about it is that Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets a lot of exposition, but he does it in such a way that things are happening at the same time. So it's like you know, because the plot is so unforgiving that you have to really kind of dial into it. It can't be a film that you watch while you're on your phone, for example, if you've never seen it before. And one of the things I really like about it is that it'll show something and not explain it necessarily straight away. Yeah, what absolutely. I mean by that is the, the opening scene, you really don't know what's happening. You're seeing different times and you're like, hang on, what? And then you see him fall into a bathtub and it's like, I don't get this. I don't understand why. And it all makes sense. It totally rewards a second viewing. Um, the notion of a totem, for example, is introduced and it's not explained till way later in the film. So you're seeing, he's using the spinning top and you're like, why is it? I mean, it's kind of cool, but what is it? And then it's explained later on. And I think that's just such a good way of utilizing exposition because it adds a bit of drama, adds a bit of suspense. And when the when the when it's when the drama is so good, it does maintain your enthusiasm and your interest without getting boring. Yeah, definitely. And um, that's I think that's the key, isn't it? Right. He, he doesn't want it to be boring. He wants it to be interesting. And so you get the information you need to understand what's going on, but you're still going along for the ride. Um, just uh, you reminded me very quickly then Andy of just I guess even though we've kind of synopsized if that's a word the movie just to go through a couple of the characters here so we essentially have Leonardo DiCaprio as as Cobb who is this guy who's leading this team and then Joseph Gordon-Levitt is his right-hand man I forget what his name is Arthur and to be honest Arthur there you go to be honest it's it's actually a, a relatively standard heist movie in a lot of ways once you get to the core of it um, and it has all the tropes of that kind of genre. You know, you, you go through all the different characters and all their different things. You've got the disguises guy, which is Tom Hardy's character, the tech guy, which in this case is the drugs guy, um, the right-hand man. And then we all see all this through Ariadne, who is the, the talented newcomer to the team, who's tasked with actually doing the the the... the the important aspects of this job that, that needs to be handled. And so she's so new to the team. We follow everything through her eyes, which also kind of helps us get into the team. Dan, it's funny that you say uh, heist movie, because I wrote down uh, it's like the Matrix meets, yes. uh, meets Heat. Okay. I feel like it's yeah, got yeah. loads of uh, little shout-outs to those two films yeah. all the way through. Totally feels like the Matrix, I would say. And Heat is just sort of a touch point. I always I remember feeling like the Dark Knight in particular was like heat with vigilantes. Uh, so I think stylistically, he, he often sort of matches that movie. Andy, you touched on the totem. Yeah. Is it worth us discussing that and the sort of yeah I don't want to call so, it controversy, but the discussion that came out of it all? Well, first of all, as a movie, I think it's really what I really love about it is that yeah. it's in a, a movie with lots of ideas. And I feel like it gets even half an hour in and it's still giving you more ideas. I almost feel like the notion of Inception was unnecessary. You could have just had a movie about extraction without the need for this whole avenue of what about putting an idea in? That could have been a whole movie. This, the, the, there are so many ideas in this. And the totem is just is just one really clever and sort of elegant solution to the whole, well, of course, in a postmodern film like this, how do you know what is reality and one strand of this movie is is that the ending really sort of courts that notion of is it all a dream Cobb throughout the movie there are hints towards the fact that he is sort of addicted to dreaming but he can't dream as well but also he doesn't know what's real and I think you know when you watch it you do pick up on a couple of things that are like okay that could be the, the beginning point of all of this being a dream I, for one, personally believe... I just, you know, I'm optimistic and Ooh, I just like to question, believe the narrative. The big question. Yeah, I just like to believe that, look, <laughs> in a movie that is not entirely... Um, Nolan's often sort of criticised as being a bit unemotional <laughs> or a bit sort of um, robotic yep. in his movies. And I I like the, the notion Style of the... Style of a substance, father, Yeah, sometimes. I like the notion of the father being reunited with his kids. I think there are clues in there and I think... Nolan's smart enough to put 
to pepper clues throughout it that uh, cast some some doubt over the validity or over the reality of the ending of that movie. What do you, your guys sort of take on that out of curiosity? Well, I, I um, so I read somewhere that, that that someone said that anybody with kids is going to assume that it's the reality because they have a little bit of a different <laughs> connection to that ending maybe than than others. Um, so essentially, for those that haven't seen it, you should see it. We're kind of we're completely spoilerizing it a little bit here because we're talking about the movie in full. Of course. So this is the this ending. Is right? The ending is Cobb finally reunited with his family. He spins his spinning top on the table. He feels like he's out of the dream and he gets reunited with his kids, which has been the whole thing that he's been trying to achieve throughout the entire movie. There's a whole load of other things that go on with that, which I want to discuss. We'll get to in a minute. Is it reality or is it a dream? Dave, uh, Andy thinks it's reality. Dave, what do you think? Uh, I think that there are there is plenty of evidence that it is reality. So I could, we could talk mm-hmm. through uh, some various yes. uh, pieces of evidence that would tell us that this is reality. There are then also yep. some things that would make you suspect that it is um, still a dream. However, some of that could be lazy filmmaking slash lazy storytelling, which I don't think Nolan would do, but it's possible. Um, and then you could also, when you're looking at the evidence that suggests it is reality, you could say, right, but what if the whole thing has been a dream? What if the entire film from the very beginning has been a dream, which would then totally invalidate agree. the evidence? And so I, I would say that actually it doesn't matter at all because the whole point of it is that you choose your reality. And they've created worlds that are so Definitely. realistic that it really doesn't matter. I've got a couple of quotes to throw at you. Um, first of all, Dave, I personally completely agree. Uh, I, I, I like to believe that the optimist in me believes it's reality, which in a way, and I think because it's such a complex movie, in a way it makes it a relatively more straightforward movie. You have a start and an end, which kind of end at the same place. And maybe some people would like it to be that little bit more complex of an ending um, rather than it being that that simple. Um, Michael Caine, who plays um, Cobb's father-in-law and the grandfather to his kids, who's been looking after them while he's not been able to get back to them, he said in an interview that when he got the script, he didn't quite understand where the dream was and where it wasn't. And Nolan said to him, when you're in a scene, you're in reality. And he's in that last scene. So a lot of people will say, ah, well, that must be that. Obviously, that's his information from Nolan. I've read that Nolan has also said that he knows what he thinks it is. He likes that people have their own interpretation, but he needed to have a definite answer to that question. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to make the entire film. The integrity of his filmmaking would be tied on him knowing the answer to a question like that. But ultimately, and I agree, the point is, does it matter? He's absolved himself of his guilt. He's got back to his kids. He's come to terms with living in the real world despite what's happened. Um, and ultimately, and this, when I saw it, 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 almost like the first time I'd seen it, he doesn't look back at the spinning top. He gets in that room, yeah. he spins it, and he goes towards his kids, oh, and he doesn't look back. And so actually, does it topple a little bit? Does it not? Does it carry on? Whatever. doesn't really matter, because the point of it is he is accepted that what he has there is his best reality, and that's where he wants to be. And, I mean, bear in mind, this is a guy that's lived, like, two lifetimes. You know, he was in limbo for an entire lifetime. Yeah. Like, he's seen some and it, it, yeah. every time he's gone dreams within dreams the time expands and so he's lived a long time and he just wants to be with his kids yeah yeah uh andy you might really like this because uh you know how much i don't like a lot of science fiction films where they're trying to equate like robots and that kind of thing to real people like if you could make a robot yes. that's so complicated does it essentially have human rights because it's such a complex mm. being that it, in its own way it, it can compute in the same way that human brain can and as such 
you know, should it be respected as a human? And I've always kind of said, no, absolutely not. If it's not human, it's not human. Um, however, this film maybe made me question that a little bit because I was watching it. Ooh. Well, I was watching it thinking, yeah, what this is saying is that these fake worlds that they're creating, these dream realities, um, are so similar to the real world that we live in that even when we see him get back to real life and he spins his top, we're still not sure. Like, we should be sure, but we're not sure. And because we're not sure, it starts to make me think, well, then, is there any difference, really, between these worlds? Like, does it matter if he's living in reality mm. or not? Because if yeah. they are so similar, if they are essentially the same, then it doesn't matter whether he's in reality or not. And then I started to think, well, hang on a second. Yeah, that's kind of like the AI stuff that Andy really likes. Yeah, I just think it's a brilliant ending. That one shot. I love a movie that ends on like like a really iconic last shot. I love it's really that. Really iconic. And, I, and the music I do sort of think, builds and everything. Oh, yeah, man, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Um, so I really like that. And it does hold on that spinning top. And all the way through the movie, we've been led to believe by the reality of the movie that the spinning top is the thing that designates reality or not. And for the fact for Nolan to sort of hold on it for so long, I just think is is genius. I just think it's brilliant and it inspires all of this type of conversation. And ultimately, I think it doesn't really matter, as you both say. I just think it, it just lends itself to like what a fun film it is in an extra dynamic. And I do believe that there are peppered throughout other little hints towards it, certain pieces of dialogue. Cobb's father-in-law at one point says, wake up, Dom. And it's, it's basically telling him, you know, you need to come back to reality. The ending to The Dark Knight Rises was sort of similar. And a lot of people went, oh, well, he should have done the same thing that he did in Inception. And I was like, no, he shouldn't, because that was about, in Inception, yeah. he does it to add that extra element of the reality sort of bending nature of this film. With the Dark Knight Rises, it was about no, give Bruce Wayne the catharsis. It would be a, it'd be a bit bullshit to then have that weird sort of ah, are we going to do this at the end or not? It, you didn't need it, and it's and it's really not the point. It's really not the point because it doesn't it doesn't actually make a difference because ultimately, and this is you know you you talk about this stuff all the time, and and films that succeed and don't succeed, um, films that have uh, emotional stakes to them when people talk about how to write good screenplays and all this. You have to believe the characters and you have to follow their emotional journey. And it makes no difference if people go from plot point A to plot point B if you don't believe what's happening. And this is a film that is chock full of plot points and information and and science fiction and ideas. But actually, it's all underpinned by these oh, two yeah. huge emotional connections. And without that, you don't really have a movie. And the, Nolan gets to the end and says... Yeah, if you're concentrating on the spinning top, if you're concentrating on all the stuff that I've just thrown at you, you're not really focusing on what's important. So, and again, we kind of haven't really discussed it because there's just so much to talk about in this movie. So much to talk about. But essentially, at the beginning, it, we learn through a couple of flashbacks that Cobb, um, he he went into dreams within dreams. He was experimenting with his wife, and they both got to a point where. They didn't quite know what was dream and what was reality. And it was such a difficult place to be. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Sorry. I'm being emotional here. He was... He was experimenting he was... <laughs> with his wife. The thing is, I laughed. And then I saw Dave laugh. All right. I get it. I didn't and, laugh. Uh, yes, you did. And they got... I didn't. You, you can check my audio. And they got so deep that they... Um, oh, God. <laughs> they got so deep into their experimentation... <laughs> they, um, it's a good job I'm not video recording this. It's, they got so deep into their experimenting with dreams and going to within dreams, they actually got stuck in a place where time was so expansive. They lived their entire lifetime and she forgot what was dream, what was reality. And he had to incept into her mind this idea that she needed to kill herself to wake up because she wasn't willing to wake up because she thought that that was her reality. And when they got back into the real world, she was trapped with that. And eventually she killed herself. So that, again, like, takes forever oh, to explain. Man. But it's so elegant the way it's put on yeah. screen. 
And then because of that, because she killed herself, they think that he did it. So he can't then return back to the US to see his kids. So then he can't see his kids. So he, on the one hand, he's got this guilt of having potentially caused his wife to kill herself. Um, and at the other side, he's then also not allowed to see his kids, which is kind of second only to losing a child is losing a child that is alive, but you can't see them. And they're growing up and living without you. I think as well, you know, so many movies just wouldn't even have the inventiveness or the kind of creative drive to invent all of that. Because I think they would just stop at the concept of uh, dream espionage. Go, cool, let's do that. Whereas Nolan builds upon like just constant so many, there's so many ideas in this that it is honestly like... Or even just his wife has died. Well, even just, just that, that. Just his wife's died, he's guilty about it. Just that, like stop that. And that's, yeah. that's like a Nolan trope, isn't it? But... You know, the, the, I, I do believe a lot of movies would stop at like the corporate espionage, dreams invading, cool, all right, let's now have it. Because within that, you've got this whole notion of cool. So you've got a dreamer and that the dreamer, is, then you've got an architect and the dreamer's subconscious populates the dream and you've only got a limited amount of time because your subconscious will start to attack whoever is in there. I mean, it's like there's so much meat on the bone with this that, it, you, you know, you watch it and you're like, wow, there's so many cool it's so like well built this idea and i love a movie a sci-fi movie like this where there's a really robust story like this that's full of ideas i also love how um because because the idea is that someone wants him to do inception people say well that's impossible and he's like no i've done it and you sort of eventually find out that when he did it it was on his wife to get her to kill herself in this fake world to bring them out of that world and into the real world but then it starts to explore the fact that even though it was technically successful in the grand scheme of things it was a massive failure because that the idea of killing herself continued she, she became obsessed with the idea that they're not in the real world and that's why she killed herself in the real world and so it kind of starts to touch on the fact that even though they might be successful in setting this idea into um, Killian Murphy's character, that actually we've got no idea where that's going to go. Like that could, that could be so devastatingly dangerous what they've done to him, and that you know just because yeah. that one instance is a success, like who knows where that's going to go? Because it ended up with his wife killing herself. Uh, and we haven't we haven't even touched yeah. on Killian Murphy's character or that side of the plot, which again is a whole other thing. Um, so he, he has to, they're trying to incept this idea in his mind to break up his father's company. Why? We don't really need to know, but the bad guy, in inverted commas, he's not really a bad guy. Again, he, complex characters in a Nolan film has told them that's what he wants them to do. And they're going through layers and layers. And there was one line which, which really, it kind of described the entire movie to me. So there was a point where they go, they're supposed to go three layers deep into dreams. And they're in the second layer and they're trying to work out how to properly get this idea in his head. And they're like, should it be that his father's uh, ashamed of him or all this kind of stuff? And in the end, they settle upon um, he didn't his father didn't they didn't want his father didn't want him to be like he wanted to forge his own path. And someone says that because they said, well, isn't that going to be too much? Isn't that going to be too much trauma for him to, to handle? We're going to be inside his dream. What's going to be happening how is he going to take this? Like you said, Andy, who knows what this could lead to? And he said, the greater the trauma, the greater the catharsis. And that, and that should be the tagline of the movie, yeah. ultimately, to describe it. That the greater the trauma, in terms of Cobb, the amount of trauma that he's had in his life, that catharsis when you get to the end of seeing his kids again, dream or reality, absolutely makes no difference to him. He is His catharsis of overcoming that grief and overcoming um, the guilt uh, uh, and being back with his kids is enough. And actually, Killian Murphy is a very, very small character in this, but he's actually beautifully played. And it's no wonder Nolan keeps putting him back in more movies. Such a no. small part, but done so well. And it, like you say, the, the, the control of just that very small thread that could have would have been either lost or just destroyed in a different movie is just kept from start to end. One of the things I, I really like about the the respect that the script pays to 
the com how complicated the idea of incepting an idea is is when they describe it the um the arthur character says don't think about elephants what are you thinking about you're thinking about elephants right and he goes and he does mm. that to say look i can make you think of something so easily the notion is your mind needs to feel like you've come up with the idea by yourself and so to, to incept an idea you have to break it down to its most basic point so the character of Eames talks about, well, we need to break it down to its most basic principle because the notion of breaking up a corporate empire has all sorts of uh, anti-corporate prejudices attached to it. So how do we do this? We start off with the relationship with the father. Because again, so many of the movies would just have a much less sophisticated, oh, we just need to put this blueprint into his mind and it, he'll just do whatever we want. And it's like, no, you've got to have real basic principles it's it's amazing this movie it really is can i can i make one uh, and i i hesitate greatly to call it a criticism because i i in the grand scheme of the movie i don't think it can necessarily be called a criticism the only thing that i noticed was that the dialogue doesn't really sit too long um the delivery is pretty sharp it's pretty quick it's a very obviously perfectly constructed movie in terms of its uh, sound editing and visual editing as well as the effects uh, plotting like everything is so perfect that the dialogue really it takes a little bit of a backseat and I wouldn't say that it's rushed um, and it's actually very good it's not poor dialogue either but there's not quite as much opportunity to kind of let some of the dialogue sit and rest a little bit um, so I don't want to say it's a criticism, but it's just something that I noticed re-watching it. Do you mean in the editing, Dan? As in, like, the way it's uh, edited and it's quick? Well, it's partially that, but it's also partially the performance. Um, that they're part, It's partly editing because you don't really have any moments where someone will have a heartfelt conversation and then they, they will stop and then there'll be opportunity to let what they've just said sit with another character. The thing that the, the time that I noticed it the most was as they were going through with Ariadne about how she was to create these new worlds and she was kind of working her way in and Joseph Gordon-Levitt's talking to her and it's just very quick. It's like, here's something, here's something, here's something, here's something. Um, so it kind of it kind of skips through a lot of dialogue pretty quickly. Does that make sense? It does, but I think there's plenty of reasons why they would do that. I mean, you could, for example, 100%. just say... Well, you know what? They're they're so hyper intelligent that they don't need a lot of time to uh, to kind of compute these things. Um, I think from a filmmaking point of view as well, you could just say, well, you know what? This whole thing's not driven by dialogue. No, um, it's a very know, it's a film. It's a very visual film, isn't it? Yeah. So it's it's different to if you're watching, you know, like a Tennessee Williams play that's been adapted. Yeah, I would agree with both. And and you're not you don't watch it that particular film specifically for the dialogue, and you don't necessarily expect a character like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character um, to have an emotional encounter with somebody as much as you would in, in a different kind of film. There's a lot to be served within that film. Um, it just uh, I just watched it and thought, oh, it's kind of, it almost feels a little bit like he's rushing through. And that's why I say I don't want to call it a criticism. It feels almost fundamental to that type of movie that it would need to be um, that the way that it is. So something I didn't know until researching stuff for this episode, and I kind of stumbled across it, is that the score is a slowed down version of the song that they use um, to know where they're at timing. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. The um, yeah, yeah. So it's it's that song because they keep using then, it before the kicks, so don't like, they? Um, and every time they go into a further dream, it sounds even more drawn out, but. Oh, so much subtext oh, wow. as yeah. well. I don't know the um, I don't know the words, but it's like, oh, man, oh, yeah. Oh, man, oh, yeah. and that is, if you slow it down enough, those are the notes. And what's really weird, or just like a cool little Nolan That's Easter cool. egg, is that the uh, the song is something like 2 minutes 28 seconds. The movie is 2 hours 28 minutes. <laughs> of course that it doesn't is. surprise me. It doesn't <laughs> surprise me. Uh, and you would talk about this movie and obviously Andy's favorite of the decade, one of his favorites of the decade. 
every single blockbuster trailer from then till now has literally copied that yeah. exact same yeah. score. Boom. Somebody's doing something. Boom. It's yeah. just it's it's so repetitive. It's iconic. And it and, and it's yeah. it's yeah, it's it's just been repeated so many times because it is so perfect and effective. And yeah. it is just a really good score. It just in it on yeah, its own, it's isn't really it? I mean, good. it's literally like yeah. I think the track called Time is it's probably its most famous one. There's the Mind Heist track, which isn't part of the score, the Zach Dempsey track, but also there's just there's the Hans Zimmer Time track, which is just amazing. Um, I'm pretty sure I'll be utilizing that throughout this episode, no doubt about yeah, it. Definitely. Goodness. <laughs> Can I make one, one very, very, very brief point? It was. It made me really happy seeing Pete Postlethwaite again. Yeah. Completely yes. forgot he was in it. Yeah. Very, 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 very. His small last role. movie. Yeah, his last movie. Ugh. And really sort like, of playing Rupert Murdoch. There's Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Well, I don't uh, think points... I feel as much empathy for Rupert Murdoch as I did for Pete Postlethwaite. That's for sure. <laughs> One of the points I wanted to make was just about literally how stylish the movie is. And I mean, it's just cool, isn't it? I mean, it literally is, it looks cool. What I love about it is the kind of, that confluence of the CGI and practical effects. So there's that, you know, it's it's sort of oft, its influence is seen in so many other movies now, especially a lot of MCU movies. I mean, I don't think anyone saw Doctor Strange and didn't just go, yeah, I've seen Inception, (laughs) all right? But that notion of like really good CGI plus like, the fact that, you know, during sort of like zero gravity scenes, they built real, like a real gimbal. And you can see the real yeah. actors. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is running through that. And that all kind of, I think, kind of um, complements how stylish the movie is. And in terms of even it's just its art direction. It's such a classy film. The opening sequence, you've got architecture that is just gorgeous to look at as well. Whilst I agree with everything you say, when you said it was a stylish film, I thought you were talking about the characters and like the way they dress, and because I remember thinking mm, like, "Oh, they're dapper. all James Bond, like in various different yeah. elements <laughs> of James Bond's like story." And yeah. then when they eventually ended up in the um, uh, Arctic, oh, yeah. uh, you know, the, snow yeah, kind of yeah. dream thing, I was like, "This is James Bond." <laughs> well, no- Nolan famously a lot of people loved said, James Bond. "Yeah, ah, I didn't know that." Yeah, a lot of people said it was like his Bond, you know, his audition. attempt at a Bond movie. And it really is. By the time you get to that, yeah, Bond audition, by the time you get to that third dream state, it really is full Bond, isn't it? Um, I actually think with regards to like the costume, it was one of the, as stylish it is, and I just mean in terms of art direction, I remember thinking like, oh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's hair annoys me in this. <laughs> and, like, and just like, even that, that weird thing that... Um, Chris Nolan has as at least one character having his exact haircut, which sadly <laughs> due to the uh, the lockdown, I'm starting to sport a slight slipped back. Uh, <laughs> so I don't think, um, I don't think yeah, that main interestingly, of yours be slipped back, Andy. It's got far <laughs> no. too much volume. I, I also don't think you have anything it's to complain right about has. in the hair stakes, Andy. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. And that beard is looking significant um, as well. Dan, your hair's well, looking really thank good. You, at the thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's a hat. That's because I've got a hat on. Sorry. It's a yeah, it's a it's a grey hat. It's a grey <laughs> beanie hat. This one, however, my beard is particularly long. I'm I'm contemplating cutting it. One of the things, I mean, we spoke about criticisms earlier. Now, I remember a, a, a close friend of mine saying, "Nah, Andy, like, there's, I, I, I defy anyone to say to have a criticism of it." And I didn't need to search that hard to think of. Do you know what that? You know, I'm I'm not sitting here going, it's a perfect movie, guys. I just think it's so big. It's so big that inevitably, you know, you've got, I think, your criticism around um, dialogue might be down to a taste thing. And maybe my criticism is down to a taste thing as well. But I know there was one part of the story that I thought, mm, okay, you know, I'm not quite sure about that. And, and I'll go into it now. So as they get into the very first dream, the first half of the movie is all about planning and preparing to, to invade uh, the, the subject's dreams. 
And as soon as they get in there, they discover that this person's subconscious has been weaponized by by someone. And I was like, yeah. hang yeah. on a second. The opening scene is an audition for Saita, for the character of Saita. And he's literally shopping his um, skills to say, look, I can teach you to do this. So they live in a world where it is very much um, accepted that you can pay someone to weaponize your subconscious. And they're surprised to learn that this character, who would definitely have this, they are surprised to learn that he has also been weaponized as well. And it even comes up as a, a character thing where he goes, oh, I'm sorry, it should have come up in the research. And I'm like, not only, yeah, it should have come up yeah. in the research, but like, <laughs> you should have just assumed this would be the case anyway. Why don't you all have, why aren't you in a tank, for God's sake? Like, I mean, it's, it's. I'll say this, it's it's a minor they, they criticism, but conspicuous for me, it just made the movie sort of, it's almost like in Fight Club when it goes over to Project Mischief. I just went, oh, the movie's now changed gears and we're now into like, oh, it's action scene time. Okay. And it just, it's real minor, guys, but it made me feel a bit like, oh, we're changing gear now. And normally I, I don't like to feel manipulated and I felt a little manipulated and it's the only point in the movie where I, I did feel a slightly manipulated. So I agree. However, I would also say that usually... Um those types of things are done to make life easier. And with this, it was to make life harder. So I forgave it quicker, if that makes sense. Do you mean... The protagonist. So, the protagonist had me? a harder time after it, as opposed to, yes. oh, guys, this thing happened. Now, we've, now we can yeah, get from A to B easier. It would, usually it would be like, they've been planning for it to be weaponized, and then it suddenly goes, oh, turns out he never even got it weaponized. I guess we can walk <laughs> through this door now. But it, I, I don't know. I sort of I didn't mind as much. It, do you know what? Yeah, I am. I've got to admit, guys, I am nitpicking. It just sort of smacked off maybe a bit of false jeopardy. That's all. It was just like, oh, we need to make it a little bit add some more jeopardy. That's that's <laughs> yeah. all. You know, for me. you know what? And the one Andy, I had one of those moments as well. We're going to um, get angry letters was... about people saying that you said Pro- Project Mischief instead of Project Mayhem. By the oh, way. Oh yeah. Thank you for the correction. Yeah, come on, yeah, come on, dude. Andrew. I had one which was pretty much at the same time, um, which was it's kind of a throwaway thing, but I felt like they they wanted to have a really interesting uh, set of effects to provide a little bit of an extra something, uh, and so they just added this little thing. It's when I've forgotten his name, but the guy who administers the the sedative. He has a drink of champagne on the plane before they go to sleep. Oh, yeah. And then they all wake up and like, oh, you could have gone oh, to the dude. bathroom first. That was so amazing. It's, and it's raining. Yeah. But it's the same kind of thing. It was just like, you kind of wanted it to rain. And you wanted this funny joke about him having not gone to the bathroom first. You kind of just threw it in there a little bit. I forgive that a lot more. Like, though. Yeah. Because yeah. I think that's funny. Yeah, that, I know. that to me is like, yeah, that's, that's oh, genius because the but, way that, yeah. The way that your your subconscious state is influenced by your outer, you know, your your physicality. I I really liked that. Yeah, but on a on a film that is is so much about really long threads, that was like he had a drink, then they they all go back into the dream, and then it's raining. It was just a really quick thing. I was like, kind of took me out a little bit. The only thing that I could say to your point, Andy, is I you know you, you do have to nitpick a little bit sometimes when something is as great as a film as Inception is. And in terms of, of nitpicking, you could say that this technology is something that is used occasionally, but not that much. So he's shopping himself to Saito, for example. I can imagine there being like two or three of these people in this entire world. And that preparing someone to have their subconscious invaded is not some is something that wouldn't necessarily be expected there'll be multi-millionaires all over the world billionaires not all of them will have had the opportunity to get one of these guys to try and do that so if they hadn't found evidence of this happening maybe that's that so it hadn't been in the research because there was no evidence of it happening. So I could kind of say, you know, this is a very, very niche market these guys are working in. Um, and they're, and I get what, and that in lazier hands, that could have been something as well, having another set of guys trying to do something. But do, do you know what I mean? Like I, I felt, you I, know, I can, I can imagine me, it. Yeah. I just think it would have been, surely that would be predictable if that's their line of work that they would go, ah, cool. 
You know, that that's all. And it, it's a real minor criticism, yeah, maybe. ultimately. I know what you mean. Surely they'd be able to predict that coming. I also don't think I also don't think this crew necessarily has the biggest budget. Um, they don't look like they're massively well off. They're actually well. I mean, out one of them is a, and you know, Cobb himself is a criminal yeah, say, that would be extradited. Exactly. So, so in terms of like research and stuff, I don't know how how much. Well, it you say that, but they did buy an airline to make Saito the, bought the airline, uh, the and they are working Saito with did. Saito. Yeah. So yeah, Saito. So would have given them money for it. Yeah. I don't know. I I guess like, and it's interesting to have a discussion about it because it's a very minor point, and you could I, I, personally, I could kind of, I could go, yeah, I could kind of explain. Do you know it what? It, a little it, bit, it's it? just a bit. Yeah, you could explain it away. It was just the one time where I went, oh, there's a bit of screenwriting happening there. That's all, you know. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, the truth is, I I reckon that if you watch if you watch Inception. And you think about that stuff because I know that this is after you've watched it probably seven oh, or eight times. I've seen this to, movie so many times. Bombs. But yeah, if you watch it for the first time and you come away thinking about that detail, like you just Inception is <laughs> not the film for you, dude. Like, yeah, that's you, what happened to me. Watching different films, <laughs> you've missed it. You've missed out on it. No. <laughs> my first Andy, viewing was, it was that. the first time you spotted. No, it legit was. It was legit my first viewing. But I'm I'm yeah. not I fun to watch movies quit with. The film business. <laughs> <laughs> um, Get out of the game, man. Get one other thing, um, I was thinking about that. And obviously, whenever we're going to discuss a movie, I really I want to do my I do my research and I want to do my homework on it. And I was thinking about how oftentimes one of the criticisms that Chris Nolan is often kind of has is that his his movies are entirely humorless and i was watching it with that sort of lens and i was going yeah it is it is super serious and it is like but then there's this one little moment where um ariadne and arthur are in the subconscious uh, in fisher's subconscious and he just goes quick give me a kiss and she does and there's this moment where it's like it's not like i'm not saying it's laugh out loud funny or anything like that but he basically like experiments to get a to to cause a distraction or whatever and i was like there are little there we well there we go (laughs) there are little moments of of humor and another one is when um tom hardy exactly exactly like you know you must never fear to dream a little bigger darling and uh so there are little moments of it yeah certainly and that's performance i mean there's so many great actors in there that there's especially the tom tom hardy bit you in someone else's hands that could have been slightly perfunctory and maybe a tad boring um and leo doesn't he he carries the entire movie while also basically showing purely subconscious on his face like he doesn't really do much else apart from withhold all this information he never really lets it out that much but he carries the whole movie all the actors are phenomenal. so good like so good but yeah that little bit with tom hardy all of them. I remember back in the day when it first came out, it was the first time where I was like, oh, Leonardo DiCaprio is like, he might be the real deal. Like, he might be a, like a real actor and movie <laughs> star. Like, he might be both, which is a rarity. And now, obviously, I yeah. mean, he really is that. He has become that. But at the time, I remember going like, oh, wow. Like, 10 years ago, or even five years ago, that, that would have been Tom Cruise playing this role. But now it's Leonardo DiCaprio. That's really interesting, you know? The reality is, guys, like I chose it as one of the movies that I thought just worthy of discussion just because I love this movie. I think it is it's one of the smartest big budget movies I've ever seen, really. Um, and it was such a pleasure to see audiences accept it and that be kind of a, a lesson to oh, studios yeah, going, hey, audiences like smart movies, guys. Like you don't need just Transformers. And I do believe it has had a bit of an influence on the kind of movies that have been getting made since then. I really do. <laughs> and we've barely even touched the sides, you know, like honestly, we really have. Yeah, it's too big to uh, oh, man. To, to to really kind of get you, it all. You out could break it down scene like by this, scene for yeah, hours. You absolutely for hours. Should, should watch yeah, this it's film. incredible, and I, I agree. Maybe one day we'll even do a. We'll do a commentary or something like that. Now, uh, this is one of those movies where I would yes. totally be like, you know what, as an extension of the sort of the five hand brand, and you know, where I was excited by the possibility of what we can do as extras, this would be like a perfect five commentary, commentary yeah. uh, 
Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Oh, and it would be a real moneymaker. I mean, let's, let's face it. That's the reason we do it. We've got I mean, to constantly... get some more cash. Come on, guys. <laughs> Especially right now. I mean, we really need it right now. Like, that's the reality. Help some brothers out. We need out. to sell some merch. So I think, is it worth us uh, mentioning what our next movie is going to be? Yeah. Well, I was just going to, well, we're going to do Drive next, yeah? Yeah, Drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, okay. yeah. <laughs> it's Drive. So. Okay, it's Drive. It's Drive. Uh, okay. It's Drive. We're so guys, do Drive. Yeah. We, um, we, we really want to get you guys involved. And so we, we're going to be doing Drive next. This is a little bit of a, a preview for what's going to be coming on the, uh, the next episode. Dave, as you heard earlier, has chosen Drive for his movie of this decade. So yeah, it's the Ryan Gosling uh, film uh, directed by Renf Nicholas Vinding Renf. So if you uh, wanted to look it up, yeah, everybody watch it, watch it, and then you'll all be able to hear us um, bantering about it. Uh, hopefully, in a in a short amount of time. It's the first time the audience will be able to play yeah, along. Yeah, this will be great. You know what? Yeah. It might be worth just mentioning how incredibly violent it is. Um, just in case, just in case yes. you're not into that, it yeah. is 18 rate. Do not watch it with the kids in the yeah. house. Yeah, you might see some blood. That's all I'm saying. <sighs> yeah, just but it's really bit. it is a shockingly yes. However, violent film. And I know that shockingly we're not talking violent. about Drive right now. The thing that is so incredible about Drive is that whilst it is shockingly violent, it's it's kind of like a really touching love story. And yeah, like it's 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 cool. Just check yeah. it out. So watch that, guys, and then next week we'll discuss it. Send your thoughts into us from all the usual methods: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, through our website fivehard.com, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll discuss it next time, like a little mini lockdown film club. There we go, lockdown film club. We absolutely are going to try and uh, release with more regularity than perhaps we ever have done. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. It's It's been a pleasure, as always, to podcast for you. It has been a pleasure, but I, I'd say it's probably more it of a pleasure, a pleasure for them as listeners. So I, I'd welcome. like to think so. You're welcome <laughs> I'd like, for listening. <laughs> I'd like to think so, uh, certainly. Um, and I know we're all sort of going through the lockdown right now. Just uh, stay safe, everyone. I don't want to talk about it too much, but just look after yourselves is what I will say. Look after yourselves. Stay home, Body, stay safe. Absolutely. Mind. Anyway, um, watch Inception and uh, yeah, see you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.